All right. Welcome back to season five of Extra AI, your podcast series on machine learning and AI applications. And this is your host, Raghu Banda. As I've explained in the past, in season five, we'll be focusing a lot more on a lot of different AI applications, whether it is fintech or whether it is health tech and so on and so forth. But to start with, in the first session, I will be focusing on talking about the training data in the context of AI. Yes, we all know the big news around ChatGPT from OpenAI and also how Microsoft has uh, invested a lot in there and how they are building their or enhancing their search engine Bing. And we also know how Google, uh, which is a pioneer in AI, they are coming up with their own um, chat GPT models, uh, which they call BARD AI. And we also know that there is some other news going on about Baidu coming up with, the, with their own um, AI bot. So when all these things are going on, the main, the main focus here is that about the generative pre-trained uh, transformations, right? That is what GPT is called. So in this context, Training data is very important because that is how these, whether it is ChatGPT or BARD AI or tomorrow, a few other things that might come up and this whole space of um, the pre-trained models or the language models is heating up. There is going to be a lot more focus on how good is your data, how good is your training uh, and how good are your pre-trained models and uh, so on and uh, so forth. So in that context, when data becomes so important, the quality of the data be- becomes even more important because when you train on better quality of data, you get better results and better predictions. So in that context, I'll be starting this season five, podcast number 41, and I have invited a guest from Sigma AI. He's the CEO and co-founder, Mr. Daniel Tapas. He has got a little over 30, 35 years experience in AI and conversational AI, and he's been a pioneer in the field of AI. As always, you'll find more information at the end of our podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. All right. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back to our uh, podcast uh, series, Machine Learning and AI Applications, uh, Extra AI, our podcast series. And today I have a conversation with uh, a guest, uh, for co-founder and CEO of Sigma AI, Mr. Daniel Tapas. Daniel Tapas has a little over 30 years of experience, and he's focused mainly around how AI can help people make things much better. So maybe I think, Daniel, if you can give some kind of a background from your end, I think that will be helpful for our audience to get into this conversation. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Raghu. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I just wanted to say that it's a great pleasure you know, to participate in your podcast. Uh, so uh, concerning the intro about myself and the company, um, I would say that my background is in electrical engineering uh, with a PhD in artificial intelligence, but that was a long time ago uh, in the late 80s. So I think that what defines me best is that I'm a person who's been working in 
uh, artificial intelligence for over 30 years. Uh, and the same applies to the senior team of, of Sigma. You know, uh, most people in the senior team has also uh, worked in the field for many years, which I think is a really good advantage uh, compared to other companies because this allows to, us to speak the same language as our clients because we've been there. I mean, we, we are, we've been in their shoes, right? So that uh, that allows us to communicate much in a much easier way with, with them and understand exactly what they need. Uh, in my case, I, I researched in AI, I applied to speech and language technologies for over 20 years, most mostly in conversational, conversational systems. But not only, I also worked in, in, in speech, to speech translation, for example. And uh, later I have, I was lucky because I was able to apply all these things that I have developed in the real world. So I participated in the design, development and deployment of uh, conversational systems over the telephone. Uh, in many different countries, uh, which provide me, you know, with a lot of uh, insights and experience on how to use these technologies in real in the real world, and also how to do things in a way that you know uh, the technology works in real world uh, conditions. As a result of all this experience, um, we learned something which is very obvious, uh, which mm -hmm. is that artificial intelligence systems have two main components, right? Uh, one is data and the other one is technology, and that the two components are equally important. Um, it is not possible to develop high-quality artificial intelligence systems if you don't have data which has a high quality. And yeah. the same way, if you don't have the technology, it doesn't matter how much data you have or the the quality that the data has, because it won't, you know, it won't, uh, you won't make sense of that data. So this is why uh, we decided to create a company specialized in data services in 2008. Mm -hmm. The idea was to provide high quality data to companies that are developing artificial intelligence systems. And uh, we wanted to do it in a different way uh, in the sense that we not only provide data collection and annotation services, but also strategic consulting uh, for mm -hmm. the questions around data, training data, when this is needed uh, because you know clients are each client is in a different stage of uh, True. Uh, artificial intelligence adoption right, let's say or uh, evolution and therefore they have different you know needs that need to be covered you know through this consultancy services that we provide in order to fill the gaps uh, when they don't, they don't have experience or the uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the appropriate you know professionals. Uh, I would just finish the introduction saying that we annotate any type of data uh, and that we work in over 300 languages and dialects and that we're also specialized in something which is becoming more and more important, which is annotation of confidential or personal data that you know that there are many regulations you know protecting this type of data and therefore you need to have, secure facilities in order to be able to annotate this data. And that's something that we also provide to our clients. Beautiful. Great introduction, uh, Daniel. And it's a pleasure to talk with a pioneer like you who has been in this uh, world of artificial intelligence for a little over 35 to 40 years. Um, it was uh, since like uh, in the 80s. So before we get into mm -hmm. the conversation of our today's topic about training data and the quality of training data in the context of AI. I start uh, with kind of a teaser question so that our audience can get into the hang of the things that we are discussing. I know artificial intelligence is a 
very interesting topic beautiful topic in 2023 i believe a lot more things are going to happen in this field maybe could you uh, help explain what is that one particular routine maybe it's a personal experience or a professional experience that changed the way that you looked in the past when you look at it now with the influence of artificial intelligence well um that's that's a good question i if i look at artificial intelligence from the data side i would say that the um, real world experience uh is that what we found out is that customization is what allows you to produce high quality trained data at scale mm -hmm. you know that is probably one of these things that improve our routine when we start to work in data uh in data services which is that you know if you want to do something at scale with and uh, keeping the quality which is a real challenge you have to customize you have to customize everything that can be customized. So when we talk about customization, we talk about team selection and training. Uh, we're talking about customizing the annotation guidelines, uh, customizing the technology, for example, for, for curating the data sets or to do pre-annotations using machine learning technologies or just uh, uh, customizing the workflows and the user interfaces. Um, the main challenge that I that we experience uh, when we talk about all this with our clients is to convince them that the uh, that trained data is very important. And the problem is that the trained data is frequently underestimated, right? you know. So not only underestimated in terms of uh, difficulty, but also in terms of cost, effort, and, and the time that it takes. So that is one of the reasons why we decided to create Sigma because we believe that we one of the missions that we have is to convince people and to show people that creating training data is not an easy task, mostly if you want to do it at scale. And therefore, producing uh, high-quality data means that you have to have the right team, you know, people who have the experience, the tools, the right tools, the right procedures, and the right uh, quality assessment methodologies. Okay. Beautiful. Amazing. Let us take a quick break and then come back and get into the meat of our conversation. Okay. So let us now get into the today's topic of our uh, conversation with uh, Mr. Daniel on the training data and the quality of training data in the context of AI. But before getting there, like always, I start with this introduction question with AI, uh, when I talk to the guests about AI. So Daniel, from your standpoint, could you explain how are these AI projects implemented? Can you provide some big picture overview? Because you, your Sigma AI de deals a lot with these training data and the quality of the data. Yeah, sure. Um, um, all the AI projects uh, follow an iterative process um, in which new versions of the models are being created and tested all the time. Mm -hmm. So uh, every time that you create a new model and test it, you find, you know, gaps that the model has, and therefore that leads you to collecting new data and to annotate it. You add this new data to the training set, retrain the system and test it again and, and so on forth and so on. So um, this loops 
that this iterative process is repeated all the time until you the system meets the performance requirements. Um, in many cases, uh, the performance of the system has to be monitored continuously. So it's not that you just generate one version of the model that you know meets the requirements and then you forget about it and let it let it work. But on the contrary, in many cases, the performance of the system has to be monitored continuously because the working conditions are going to change uh, or can change. And therefore, new data will be needed in order to, you know, create a new version of the models that are able to cope, you know, with these changes. Uh, this is very normal, for example, in speech and language applications, just to put an example so everyone can see what, what I'm talking about. Uh, because language is something which is alive, right? And therefore, there are continuously, you know, appearing new words and expressions and, and new trending topics. And therefore, all this information needs to be added to the models in some way. And the way of doing it is by collecting new data, the, uh, annotating it, and adding it, adding this data to the uh, to the data, uh, trained data set to create new versions of, of the model. So that is basically, in the end, uh, what we have is all the AI projects are a never-ending story in the sense that you start mm -hmm. working with, you know, with uh, just a subset of data, you train the system, test it, and then you do that again and again all the time if you want to keep the system working with the performance uh, requirements that you uh, defined at the beginning. Beautiful. So that will trigger me to ask this follow-up question. So uh, for, we understand that the performance of an AI algorithm is very much needed. So what exactly right. is uh, has more impact on the performance of the algorithm, the model itself or the data? I know there are different fields of thought, but of course data is important. Uh, but uh, could you elaborate a bit more on where you foresee this and how uh, we can take it forward? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. Uh, you know, that I, as I said at the, at the beginning, uh, in artificial intelligence, there are two sides. Uh, one is the data and the other one is the, the technology or the algorithms uh, themselves. Both are equally important. Um, and, you know, so the, the thing is that from practical experience, uh, what we see is that when the performance is poor, uh, or the performance of an artificial intelligence system is not what you're looking for or what you're expecting, is because the quality of the data is poor mm -hmm. or is not good enough, or you don't, which means that it, it, it can mean that you don't have enough data, for example, to cover all the different cases. It can mean that the accuracy of the, of the annotations is not good enough. I mean, it can mean many things. Now we will enter into more detail when we talk about quality of data, but the you know quality of data is usually the issue that uh, that um, has an impact in the performance of the AI, AI algorithm. Um, the, concerning whether the model or, or the data is the, the the one that has more impact on the performance of the uh, AI algorithm, both of them are co completely related, right? Because okay. the model is created from the data, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't have good quality data, you won't have a good quality model. So both of them are completely related. related. You cannot separate one from the other. Um, I usually put a very simple example when I talk about quality of data, which is that children and artificial intelligence learn in a very similar way, right? right. Because both learn from examples. So in the same way that you 
that no one uh, would, you know, use a book full of errors to teach a children, right? To, to teach children, uh, we shouldn't use poor quality data to train an AI algorithm. Mostly uh, when we we think that many uh, AI algorithms uh, are going to perform tasks which involve uh, very serious decisions. And, you know, if you don't train the, these models properly, then you can discriminate people or you can make decisions which, you know, can provoke accidents, for example. So the quality of data is uh, extremely important. And um, the conclusion that, that we I always uh, provide to our clients is that investing in data quality gives you really a huge lever uh, to improve the performance of AI algorithms. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So beautiful. So I understand the quality of the data is very much needed. So now <clears throat> when you say the quality of the data or when you when we give emphasis or focus on the quality of the, the data, how can you make sure that you are achieving the right quality of the data for a particular project uh, to say that, okay, my algorithms are now working better and the models are created better. So how do you get to that stage? Yeah, so yeah, I'm very, I'm, I'm glad that we talk about data quality and what it means. Um, because usually when you, when people talk about uh, uh, data quality, they usually talk about accuracy of the annotations. But data quality is much more than that. Uh, in fact, we have to think that the concept of the data quality is a, is a, multi is a multidimensional concept. It's not just one parameter, it's in several parameters. In Sigma, we have defined five different factors which affect the quality of the training data. And these factors can be grouped into different uh, main uh, groups, let's say. Uh, one is the, the composition and size of the data set. Mm -hmm. The other one has to do with how the data is annotated. So if we go to the first group, uh, which is the, the composition and size of the data set, there are three parameters uh, that affect the quality. One is coverage. Uh, so uh, coverage tells you whether all the different cases that the uh, the artificial intelligence systems is going to be dealing with are properly represented in the training data set or not. So for example, if uh, we were training a system that is going, is going to identify colors, uh, a data set with uh, full coverage would be a data set with examples of all the different colors that we want to identify, right? So that would that would be the coverage. Uh, there is a second parameter, which is balance. Mm -hmm. And balance tells you whether there are sufficient examples and a similar number of examples of each one of the colors. I mean, going back to the colors example, right? So basically, what we want to uh, make sure is that all the different cases are going to be similarly represented in the data set, mm -hmm. right? Um, that is very important because imagine that you have some of the colors uh, very well represented with hundreds or thousands of examples, while there are others for, for which you have just tens, uh, some, some tens, uh, 10, 20 examples of each one of, the, of them. Then what happens is that for those colors which are better represented, you will have a very high accuracy while for the other, you will have some more errors. Uh, so the system won't perform in the same way for the different colors. So if you wanna have a system which is balanced, which uh, which performs equally uh, for all the different cases, uh, then you need a balanced database. And finally, there is another parameter which is very important, which is volume. 
um, basically what is the size of the data set that you need in order to estimate uh, a model properly. And the volume, of course, uh, depends on the technology that you're going to use. I mean, there are, you know, machine learning algorithms, like, you know, very simple classifiers, for example, which can be trained with, you know, a very small uh, uh, number of, uh, of uh, pieces of, of, of data. While, for example, you're training uh, deep neural networks, and mostly this, if the deep neural networks are huge, as, you know, some of them are, then you need massive amounts of data. So mm-hmm. the volume changes depending on the type of technology, but uh, usually, I mean, in uh, currently when we talk about volumes, we're talking about very high volumes. So these are the three parameters which measure the quality of a uh, of a data set in terms of uh, composition and size and size of the data set. Then there are two other parameters which measure the quality in terms of how the data is annotated, which are accuracy and consistency. Mm-hmm. Uh, accuracy tells you how good the, the annotation is. So how what is the percentage of colors uh, that were labeled with the right color, for example? If we go to the to the colors example, which is very uh, easy to understand. Uh, what consistency, what it measures is if the annotation guidelines have been applied by all the different annotators in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, consistency is a very important measure when we try to do a data annotation at scale. Because if we are doing data annotation for a small amount of, of data, you, you can do it with just you know, a few annotators. So it's very easy that all the annotators agree on how to do things. And therefore, consistency is usually easy to, to achieve. However, when you have many, many different annotators working together, uh, trying to do annotation of the same type of data, following the guidelines, mm-hmm. A consistency becomes much more difficult to achieve, right. and therefore, you know how you do that is is one of the things that I, this is tricky, and that we will talk about it a little bit later in the conversation. But uh, consistency, what it what it measures is precisely whether all the annotators are following the same rules in the same way. Uh, concerning the second question, which is what is the right level of data quality for a given a project? Mm-hmm. Well, it. it I would say that it depends on the task that is to be performed and also on the complexity of the task. So sure. for example, it is not the same to work on algorithms which are going to return, for example, the top three searches, um, search results, as to make, uh, for example, life and death decisions like like in self-driving vehicles, right? right. Um, in, in the first case, I mean, the data quality can be a little bit worse. I don't mean that it's a bad quality, but a little bit worse because you know you're giving three choices, and you know if you don't if you don't uh, give the the first choice in the first place, you have it in the second place or in the third place. So it's not a big deal. It's not a big thing. However, in the second case, uh, for example, in self-driving the vehicles, the quality of the data has to be much much higher because if the quality of data is not good enough you can provoke accidents, for example. True. So uh, depending on the type of application, the quality of data has to is, is different. You don't have the exact same requirements. Okay, beautiful. I think um, I like the way you have put this complete uh, picture of the quality of the data, the different five different components of it, and then how do you achieve the quality, the right level of quality, and how it differentiates between the different scenarios uh, 
Thanks for the detailed explanation. So let us take a quick break so that the audience can digest a bit about the conversation that we had so far, and then we come back and then we dive into a bit more details about the Sigma AI's training data and how the different data services are leveraged. All right, uh, welcome back. So we have been uh, having this interesting conversation about the data quality and how do we achieve it, the right level of data quality, uh, talking with our guest, uh, Mr. Daniel. So now Daniel going, taking this a bit further now, from Sigma AI standpoint, yes, Sigma AI is a training data company that provides the data services like the sourcing the data and annotating the data. Uh, so what are the common data quality problems do you see? in these AI and ML projects? And and how do you diagnose and how do you fix them? A few words around mm -hmm. that. Okay, um, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult question. Uh, we have worked in thousands of um, data annotation projects and I can tell you that, you know, every project is very unique. Uh, so usually would you find many different um, data quality problems in each one of the projects because it depends on many on many different uh, factors. But I would say that there are some common data quality problems uh, that uh, I believe can be mentioned here. One is the lack of data coverage and balance, uh, which is something very common, uh, mostly when it comes to train artificial intelligence systems that, uh, that would perform very complex tasks, right? Um, because just imagine how difficult it is to collect data mm -hmm. the, um, of cases that occur randomly or that do not happen frequently. So, for example, if we go to uh, self-driving vehicles, mm -hmm. um, I don't know what is your experience, but my experience as a driver, and I have driven for you know over 30 years, is that I have seen just a very few accidents while I was driving, very few accidents. And in the same way, I have seen many few cases in which a pedestrian just crossed the street without, you know, uh, watching whether some car was coming. Um, so if you're collecting data and you want to, you know, have these type of cases that occur very, you know, unfrequently or that occur randomly, um, you know, collecting that data is extremely difficult. And therefore, you will have a lack of coverage in some cases or a lack of balance in some others, in most of the others. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with these type of things? Well, I think that the first thing is to diagnose them, right? As you were mentioning your question, um, the first thing is that you have the proper quality assurance methodologies that allows you to analyze the data and find out you know, where the gaps are. Uh, and of course, you know, following the, these quality assurance methodologies, you know, testing the system, with real world conditions and finding out, you know, those cases in which the system doesn't perform as you would expect. Um, mm -hmm. But once you have found out, you know, that there are some gaps that you have to fill in, how do you fix them? I mean, how do you collect the data that you need in order to make the, the uh, to, to fix the problem of, the, of, the, of lack of data coverage and balance? Well, uh, there are two ways of doing it. One is uh, by, by selecting the, the data, the proper data. 
So usually you, in this type of complex uh, applications, you have massive amounts of data and therefore, you know, what you have to do is to use technology in order to select the proper data and trying to fill the gaps by finding those cases that you're looking for. And still, if there are cases that you don't cover enough, well enough, the other thing is to create synthetic data that covers those cases. So this is something that we also do in Sigma, you know, uh, and we do it very frequently because there are more and more cases in which it's difficult to, to collect the, the data that you need uh, for different reasons. Sometimes because the data is random, uh, that only occurs randomly. Uh, the, I mean, not the data, but the case that you're looking for occurs randomly. In some other cases, because you're talking about personal data and therefore you creating synthetic data is the best way of, you know, overcoming the problem of, you know, of, uh, of the data protection uh, regulations. Mm -hmm. So that, these are the two ways of fixing these two, these two issues. The other common quality problem that we find um, in general is how to uh, create uh, accurate and consistent data, data sets at scale. I mean, when you, when you want to, pro to produce data at scale with a very high quality, that is a real challenge. Um, and we address this by customizing everything from the teams to the tools, the guidelines and processes, and of course, the, the quality assessment methodologies. Um, we believe that uh, by experience that uh, this is the best way of doing it because in the end, when you have to create data at scale, you also want to be cost efficient, right? So in order to save resources, um, uh, the customization of everything is what allows you to save a lot of resources as we will see uh, a little bit later when we talk about customization. Mm -hmm. Okay, beautiful. So let me take one step further. I would like to now understand or bring up this question about the data mm -hmm. annotation, right? Like mm -hmm. how does this, uh, or what does this data annotation look like on the ground and what influences this data quality in the complete annotation process? You did talk about the right. different uh, ways that you are uh, trying to address this common quality problems with the human in the loop, right? Like, uh, so. Right, exactly. So uh, what the process of data annotation looks like uh, basically depends on what data is being annotated, but, um, but all the data annotation processes involve a combination of real people tools uh, and, and, and procedures. So basically you're gonna see uh, people listening to audio files or reading tests or viewing uh, images on vi or videos or any other type of, of data. And of course, if the data is confidential or and includes uh, personal data, for example, then you will see also physical and cybersecurity measures that you have to add to the, to the whole picture. Uh, but basically what you're gonna see is you know, a group of people uh, that is being helped by technology and procedures to be able to achieve the goal of producing this data. Um, as for what influences the data quality in the annotation processes, um, I think there are four aspects that influence the data quality in the annotation processes. One is the annotation team, and I'm going to put it in the first place. I think that humans had, uh, have a, a very important role in data annotation. And that's why I'm going to spend, you know, some uh, few minutes talking about the annotation team, mm -hmm. because it's very important that the team is properly selected. We also we always uh, select the best team for the project. 
Right. And we believe this is a, a, a very important aspect of uh, of data notation because the human factor influences data quality tremendously. So you're going to have, you want to have people who have experience in data notation and who has been trained specifically for that specific project. But also when you do the, the selection of, of, of people who do data notation, you have to be looking for specific profiles of people. For example, I could do, I've done, in fact, a lot of data notation, uh, and I can do it really well for half an hour or even an hour if I if I try hard, but I couldn't do it for eight hours a day. You know, uh, I don't have the profile to be able to concentrate for such a long time, you know, doing a data notation. So when you look for people who are going to be working on data notation, you need to find people who have uh, detail-oriented mindsets, uh, who are patient uh, and able to understand and interpret the annotation guidelines so they can apply the guidelines in the exact same way all the time. Uh, and this is this profile is not easy to find. I, I have to say that is not a, an easy profile to find. And this is why in Sigma, we've been uh, selecting and training data, annotator, data annotators uh, since we created the company in 2008. Um, we know that this is a crucial part of the process right. to achieve the goal of producing high training quality data. Uh, and now currently we have about 25,000 embedded data annotators in our database, which as you can imagine, allow us to scale uh, a data annotation project very quickly. So the second factor that influences the data quality is the data annotation guidelines. Um, mm, Usually clients, uh, you know, they think that they have the guidelines finished once they have defined all the different cases and how to annotate each one of them. And yeah, that's a very important, uh, a very important part of work. I think that is uh, a lot of work just, you know, thinking of what has to be annotated and how. However, uh, this is just one part of the process because these guidelines are going to be used by people. And therefore, you have to make sure that they are clear and easy to understand for all the annotators. Uh, it's also important to make sure that they cover all the possible cases and that they are updated when the data, when new data comes in. So for example, at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about mm, the iterative you know, uh, nature of uh, artificial intelligence projects. So you are continuously adding new data to the uh, training data set to improve the algorithms, the performance of the algorithms. And therefore, this new data can bring additional new cases that need to be studied and you need to add them to the guidelines. And not only that, you have also to communicate these changes to all the annotators. So they, when they continue to annotate, they know that there are new rules that they have to apply. So that, that is a second factor that is very important uh, to take into account when it comes to data quality. The third factor is the uh, technology and processes. Both of them come hand in hand because technology is what implements these right. processes. Um, but in the end, what you have to think is whether these processes and technology really facilitate the work uh, of the annotators. Uh, so do they avoid latencies? Do they uh, limit the distractions of people? I mean, do they help really to the data annotators? Do they facilitate the uh, the annotation process in a way that you know they the user interface has been uh, designed in a way that the optimal interaction model model can be 
can be done, can be at, uh, in, uh, can be uh, performed. And finally, are we automating all the different tasks that can be automated? So these are the three things that you have to take into account when you uh, use processes and technology in a data annotation process, because the way in which you do, you do it will, will impact, will have an impact in, uh, in, the, in the quality. And finally, uh, the quality assessment methodology, which is extremely important uh, because it has an impact on data quality. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you have to think that quality assessment is not only something that you do at the end when you have finished the annotation process. Uh, it's data, um, uh, the, the quality assessment methodology has to be applied from the very beginning mm -hmm. and has to be done in a way that it's a constant feedback uh, to the uh, to the annotators. So every time that you find an error, if that error doesn't didn't occur uh, occasionally uh, by accident, mm -hmm. uh, if that error is something that is due to a bad interpretation of the guidelines, for example, you need to communicate that immediately, and you have to be able to do that in a way that you know not only you communicate that error to that annotator but to the others in a way that they understand you know how to apply the guidelines properly, but also. During the data uh, quality process, in the quality checks, you will detect edge, edge cases uh, that right. need to be analyzed and added to the guidelines. As, uh, and also you need to, to find, you will find uh, cases in which the guidelines, the explanations in the guidelines are not properly uh, properly done or clear enough. And therefore, the, uh, the, the, the uh, quality assessment methodologies have to help improve the guidelines too. So... Quality assessment is not only checking the quality, it's also about communication and mm -hmm. it's also about updating the guidelines. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you have explained comprehensively about the complete process of the annotation and how the data, the, how it influences the data quality in the annotation process. But I believe it will be similar for the bigger projects as well, right? Like, could you right. showcase or could you uh, say a few words about that? when you have, how do you handle the quality when you have massive amounts of data without uh, uh, it being like long or expensive, right? Um, so this is a great question because it's a really difficult problem to, to solve, right? Uh, and the answer uh, may seem counterintuitive, right? Because um, the way of producing massive amounts of high quality data is via uh, customization. Okay. And uh, not only customization of, you know, uh, one thing, but customization of everything ca that can be customized as we have discussed in the previous question. So we uh, we believe we have to customize the teams, the processes and technology, and of course, the quality assessment methodology too. Uh, just when we talk about this type of very large projects, we have to think that saving just a few seconds uh, in processes that are repeated hundreds of thousands of times Mm -hmm. uh, will lead to thousands of hours saved over the course of the project. You know, so when when you're trying to save just one second in every you know uh, micro process, it doesn't look like it's something uh, important. But when you think that this process is going to be repeated thousands, hundreds of thousands of times, in the end, the savings are are, are huge. So, for example, I'm going to give you just two examples of uh, cases in which you know. We uh, achieve, you know, a lot of savings uh, use, using this uh, customization approach. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in one image uh, annotation uh, project, we save over 6,000 working hours wow. by customizing just uh, a, 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 um, a part of the workflow that we automated, you know. Uh, so it, that allowed us to maintain, of course, the pixel perfect quality of the data annotation. But imagine, you know, 6,000 working hours. I mean, that is a lot. But it's not the only case. I mean, uh, for example, in another project, uh, which was a l- very large speech data annotation project, we increased the productivity by 32% by just adapting the user interface to the specific task. So that shows you that, you know, just, and we were saving just a few seconds in every interaction, interaction, right? right? So it's not a big thing when you think of, of that in isolation, but when you think of the big picture and you see the whole project and how many times you're gonna go through that micro process, that makes a lot of sense. So this is what we, uh, every time that we start a new project, we analyze all the different aspects that can be reasonably customized. Uh, so we 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 go through all the different things. We, we, we adapt the teams. So we select the best teams. Uh, we select experience annotators if we can, because that is always useful. Uh, they usually work faster and deliver at a higher quality. And that also reduces the resources that you need to invest in checking the quality. And we also check all the processes and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are able to, uh, to automate as many, as many things as possible or even semi-automate things. Um, and when I talk about semi-automation, I mean that we, use, we, we can use machine learning technologies, for example, to pre-annotate the data. And then human beings, what they have to do is just to check whether the annotations are properly done or not. If they're well, you just validate them. Uh, if, they're, if they're not good, you just uh, correct them. And okay. that saves a lot of time. So that's another uh, another thing that you can do. And um, just to finish uh, this question, I all, all these ideas of customiz- customization uh, don't only come from the experience of uh, of you know having worked in many different projects and thousands of data annotation projects. They also come because we usually measure a very large number of parameters. You know the data annotation projects in which we participate. Uh, so, for example, one interesting thing that we we found out uh, some time ago is that. Um, the higher the annotation, a higher annotation speed generally mm-hmm. correlates with a better accuracy and consistency. And the reason for this is the annotator experience. You know, okay. more experienced annotators are more familiar with uh, the with the task, the tools, and the guidelines, and therefore they don't need to spend time thinking or reviewing the guidelines. While you know, slower speeds usually are correlated with higher error rates. And the reason is the exact same thing, but the contrary, right? Because when you don't have the experience, what happens is that you have to think more in every different single case that you are annotating, and you have to review the guidelines to see which rule you have to apply. So you're making more mistakes because you are have less experience and you spend more time, which lowers the uh, the speed of, of annotation. So it's surprising. I mean, it's also counterintuitive. But this is one of the things that you find when you measure many different parameters in the process of the, doing data annotation. Uh, you start seeing uh, a lot of correlations, and that allows you also to predict the quality that you're gonna uh, you're gonna achieve uh, with a specific team of uh, data annotators. True. 
True. Very good. I think I like the way you have explained comprehensively about uh, how you're handling, how you could save uh, even a few milliseconds or few seconds, would, which could help in improving uh, when you are working on these bigger projects. Uh, let us maybe take a quick break and then come back and go into the details about how uh, to how do you achieve the optimal balance between automation and human in the loop. Hmm. Okay. Uh, welcome back. So we've been having some very interesting conversation on the data quality and the annotation process and how we can improve this or how it can be achieved. Uh, we have talked about, uh, so Daniel, going back to that, we talked about the human in the loop and also you briefly talked about how you can use automation. So how do you, or what do you see as the optimal balance between automation and human in the loop and how do you find it uh, in these kind of uh, scenarios? Okay, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're asking me this question because this is a very uh, interesting interesting question in the sense that finding the optimal balance between automation and human in the loop is just a matter of uh, understanding what humans and machines are good at, right? So in the end, uh, if you think of it, machines are good at analyzing massive amounts of data quickly and in the exact same way. Uh, because they don't lose the focus of attention or and they don't get tired, right? However, humans uh, cannot do that type of things, but humans are very good at detecting data nuances in a split of a second. And they are also very good at understanding the context mm -hmm. and interpreting the data and the, gui and, and the guidelines. Therefore, if we think of all these things, uh, the optimal balance between automation and human in the loop is where you make the most out of the strengths of both, right? And therefore, this means that we automate, basically in the end, what you do is that you automate all the processes that, that make sense because they save time and effort to humans. So uh, in that sense, it's not only processes that you can automate, but also uh, um, processes that you can semi-automate, as I said before. So for example, if we pre-annotate data using machine learning technologies, human can just review the labels and correct them if they're incorrect, uh, which is much faster than labeling the data from scratch. Uh, and we have found out that, for example, when the machine learning algorithms are able to pre-annotate data with, mm -hmm. uh, with an accuracy which is higher than 70%, it usually is worth it, you know, uh, doing this pre-annotation automatically because it saves a lot of time uh, in the form money and, and of course, uh, um, uh, resources that you need to use uh, for the for the project. Okay, but in future we still need uh, we will still need these ground truths from the human beings or the humans. But how long will the data quality still be a human defined factor? And what and for what types of applications? Like you explained, like there will be a mix of it, but maybe a few words mm -hmm. around that. Yeah, well, this is a very difficult question. <laughs> right, right. So. I would say that though technology will allow the development of self-learning systems in many different applications, it's clear that technology is going in that direction. Uh, there, I think that there are a number of factors that indicate that humans will be there in the foreseeable future. Uh, future. Uh, and there are several reasons uh, for me. Uh, first one is that 
as technology evolves, uh, AI is applied to more areas and more challenging challenging projects. True. Um, if the complexity of the problem to be solved increases, it usually implies that the data is more difficult to interpret, and so humans will be needed to annotate the data. So, what I believe that it will happen in the in, in, is that and data annotation would require more specialization than today. And therefore, you know, it, more experienced annotators will be needed. And this is something that we're experiencing uh, lately in the last years. So we see that um, even though we continue to do projects which are simpler, let's say, not easy, but simpler, mm -hmm. uh, it is true that we are receiving requests from our clients in which they need more complex type of annotations uh -huh. in which we, for example, need to have uh, linguists or for, for annotating text or or speech uh, or, for example, uh, experts in medical imaging because, you know, we need to analyze uh, medical images and for that you need experts uh, to interpret these images. So this is something that is happening more and more. And my expectation is that in the, in the short term future, the uh, the data annotation process will require much more specialization than today. Okay. Uh, the other important point here is that the objective of AI and the conditions under which this artificial intelligence will work is in the end a human decision, or at least will require a human intervention and validation, right? Okay. So the same will happen with the annotator guidelines, uh, which, which rules... Uh, depends on the objectives of the of the AI and on the operating conditions. And therefore, humans will have to be involved some way in the process of uh, defining the guidelines and in validating these annotations, uh, the, the annotations that are done following these guidelines. In the case that these annotations are performed automatically, for example. But even if they are not performed automatically, uh, I think that humans will have to be, you know, being part of the being part of the process, and finally, there is another thing, which is the uh, which are the, the ethical and quality issues. Right. You know, uh, I think that in that part, you will always have to have humans in the loop. I mean, we I believe we we will have to monitor all these artificial intelligence applications and services, so we make sure that they don't discriminate any person or that these applications do not make biased or incorrect decisions. Uh, so I think that humans will have to be on top of artificial intelligence for many years. At least uh, I don't think I will see artificial intelligence systems which, which are completely autonomous and that uh, are trained themselves uh, with, uh, without human intervention. Glad glad that you brought that uh, example, or glad that you brought that uh, about the uh, ethics, AI ethics, and the bias and the um, and the biasing that is needed, and it's uh, interesting to know that uh, from your uh, perspective as well. Yes, we will at least in the short term there will be a lot more needed from the humans uh, to stay in the loop when you are doing this annotation process. At least with these topics around like the AI ethics and the AI bias, because there is different kinds of biasing happening, and also. I've uh, recently understood that there is a lot more <laughs> happening in that uh, field. Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree. Yeah. So I know we are getting uh, to the end of the uh, hour. I think uh, I try to keep these uh, 
to 45 to 55 minute conversations but uh, it's an interesting conversation uh, coming to the most important question i believe or the million dollar question i would say like how any key takeaways or closing remarks and how would you see sigma ai playing the role here okay uh okay so uh, concerning the key takeaways i would say that there are two points um that I would, would like to emphasize of all the things that we have discussed. One is that I believe that first thing is that we don't have to underestimate the complexity of data notation. I think it's very important that we understand that data notation com uh, implies uh, the uh, involvement of people who are experts in the field and uh, the appropriate technology and tools and methodologies. And, and that this is not something that you can create from scratch, you know, uh, really quickly. That requires a lot of expertise and and, and uh, effort invested in, you know, in trying to understand uh, what all this what all this is about. Uh, so that is one of the takeaways. The second the second one is that customization is the key to produce high quality data at scale. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't see a way of producing high quality data in a cost effective way keeping the high 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 quality if you don't customize everything that you have at hand, meaning teams, uh, tools, technology, and methodologies. So that's the second uh, takeaway. Concerning um, uh, Sigma, well, I believe that Sigma is a company that is uh, doing the right thing in the sense that not only we take care of the, of the teams that we're working with, and we continue to nurture all these teams by, you know, training them and update, updating them with the new technologies and the new procedures and ways of working in data notation. But we also are technology and tools agnostic, right? So, and we, we will continue to do so because for each one of the projects in which we work, we see that there are tools that are better than others. So we don't wanna, uh, we don't even use our own tools all the time. Uh, there are times that, you know, the clients have their own tools and they do have really wonderful tools. And therefore what we do in that, those cases is to recommend improvements. But there are the cases in which, in which you can see, you know, third-party providers who have really amazing tools for specific projects. In other times it's open source, and other times is tools that we develop just for the case, for that specific case, either because we already have experience in that area or because there are no tools available and therefore we therefore we, we develop our own tools for that specific case when we see that this is necessary. So um, I think that we're doing the right thing in the sense that we're mixing technology and humans in the uh, keeping a right balance and that we are also ready to help our clients in on another important part, which is the data strategy. Because at, in, during the conversation, we've been talking mostly about data collection and annotation and tools and procedures, data quality, and how to scale it. But we haven't talked about the data strategy of a company. And I, in all the different uh, scenarios in which you're going to use artificial intelligence in the real world, you have to have a, a very well-defined data strategy so that you are able to collect the data that you need in order to update your models all the time and to keep the, the quality of the system that you have uh, uh, working in, in, in the real world. So I think that this is also, this is also a differentiation factor for Sigma 
that we also provide this type of, uh, of uh, support because of the experience that we have working with many different clients and our previous experience uh, uh, doing um, development and deployment of uh, solutions in the, in, in, in the real world. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for your time, um, Daniel. That's a very insightful and uh, interesting conversation with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Let us now wrap up this uh, podcast 41. I would first like to thank our guest, Mr. Daniel Tappas, for his valuable time in sitting through the conversation and explaining the importance of training data and the importance quality of the training data in the context of uh, when you're building your models or when you're doing training or when you're building these pre-trained models or language models, whether it is for any AI application for the enterprise firms or consumer software firms or any other firms out there who are realistically looking in investing into tr uh, use quality training data. I learned a lot and I really hope that uh, this was useful for you as well. I really like the concept of how uh, Mr. Daniel has tied back uh, the people, processes, technologies with data when he talks about how the human in the loop is very important when you're doing data annotations, when you're working with these technologies and tools. Uh, so it was an eye-opener for me uh, in this conversation, and uh, I look forward to have uh, such conversations in future with a few other uh, uh, pioneers and experts as well. As always, uh, you can find more information uh, at our website, extraai.com, X-T-R-A-W-A-I.com. I'll be linking in this podcast over there. Of course, if you have any questions, you can directly reach out to my guest, Daniel Tappas. I'll be uh, tagging him in the LinkedIn uh, social media message. Or obviously, you can also reach out to me, Raghubanda, and I can put you in touch with him. There are further more conversations, as you might know, if you go into extraai.com, a lot more other podcasts in the different seasons. Uh, so you could also leverage and understand the other different conversations as well. Any additional feedback, if you would like to provide it to me, you can reach out to me on my website, extraai.com, or reach out on my social media handle, Raghubanda on LinkedIn or Arkebanda on Twitter. Any additional feedback about future sessions, feel free to send out a message. As always, I would like to finally thank you, the audience, for taking your time and sitting through and tuning in from wherever you are. Stay tuned for many more interesting conversations in this season five, wherein we will talk about uh, guests around uh, fintech and uh, health tech and so on and so forth. So I would finally uh, close this conversation, uh, the podcast 41, and wish you all a very happy morning, afternoon, or evening. Happy predicting the future with AI technologies. Thank you and bye-bye now.